Before we read the scripture and we get started, though, I wanted to take some time and pray. Uh, but I'll give you a minute to uh, find the passage. We're going to be in James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 2 through 11 this morning. start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. It is your revelation to us. It teaches us about who you are, how you work, what you do, and it also reveals a lot about us and our shortcomings, our tendencies. We pray as we look at your word this morning and perhaps for many a familiar passage, but I pray that you would bring freshness of application. I pray that you would uh, give insight, uh, that there would be connections made from what you've revealed to what's going on in our lives, that we'd see the connections, we'd, we'd see ways in which we need to make changes, the ways we need to grow, ways we need to think differently, the, the ways we need to respond in faith instead of frustration, anger, or fear. Help us to be encouraged and helped by your word this morning. We pray that you make this message clear and understandable and helpful. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we read the scripture this morning, I wanted to share with you uh, something about a job experience I had that kind of relates to our message today. Uh, in the summer of 1997, I was finishing up at Maranatha Baptist Bible College, or Mar Maranatha Baptist University now in Wisconsin. Um, and that last summer that I was there, in summer of 97, uh, I was married, had uh, one child on the way at that point. Um, and so I got a job working at a foundry. So I don't know if you know much about a foundry. It was, it was an eye-opening experience for me. But uh, a foundry is a place where they melt metal, and they melt that metal, and they pour the, the metal into some kind of dye or uh, casting, they call them, to give it a particular shape. So they pour this hot metal into the sh this casting that gives it a shape. They break away the casing after the metal cools. And then what they do is they have to inspect that metal. So the metal needs to be of a certain quality in order to be effective in the job it's intended to do. And they're selling to customers who expect it to be of a certain quality. So uh, they, what, the, what they did, um, and what my job in particular was at the foundry, was I would take these metal pieces that were cooled off and we'd basically dip them in a special dye, and then that would dry off, and then they would look at it under a special light. And that special light was uh, a way to reveal what was uh, the defects in the metal. So this is sort of an example, but um, uh, what you can see there is it brings out certain things in the metal, and what would happen, the guy that would look at it under light would inspect it, and he would find major flaws in the piece. In some cases, the flaws would be so significant 
that the piece would have to be scrapped or, or put back in to the, the metal supply and, and remade because it was too flawed. But for those that were decent and just had some flaws that required work, and, and frankly, you never get a perfect, absolutely perfect piece of metal, but they would mark them. So the, the guy looking at under light would mark a circle, and then what that would go to is the grinders, and the grinders would take that metal, and it's not ex it wasn't exactly like this, but similar idea. They had machines um, that you know would spin real fast, and you could dig out chunks of the metal where he had circled was the bad part. So you'd grind out the bad stuff um, in the metal so that you can get rid of the flaws in there and um, improve the product by getting rid of those flaws. And then they would somehow fill uh, in the metal uh, that had been dug out so that it, again, was in the right shape. And then we'd do the whole process again. So we'd put it through the die again, the guy would look at it under the light. And then once it would pass inspection was good enough, then they would do sandblasting where they would basically smooth out the metal to get it ready for its, its final state. Now, um, these are the steps of the process in the foundry that I was aware of. I'm sure there were some other details, and certainly there was engineering to begin the whole process, but um, these are the major parts that I observed, and I think there's a relationship to this process you see in a foundry and what we're going to look at in first uh, first chapter of James here, where um, in the foundry, they're examining this product that they have. They're testing it. They're evaluating the product because it has to be of a certain quality. The flaws need to be found so they can be removed so the product is durable, that it will endure the use it's gonna undergo when the customer gets this product. It needs to be of a solid quality. So this testing is done, not so they can just throw away a bunch of metal, the testing is done to improve the product. That's the goal. They're trying to produce something that is worthy, that is good, that is solid, that's going to be quality and be useful to the customer. And in a similar way, God works in our lives to bring challenges and difficulties to make us more like his son. He, however, is not like humans in that he has to put us in a die and expose what's wrong with us because he doesn't know. He does know. But he uses many of these circumstances and difficulties in our lives to expose it to us. So we see what he already knows and what's wrong with us so that we can confess, so that we can forsake those things, so that it brings about the needed changes in our lives so that he can make us more like Christ. So God is working in our lives, and many times the tools that he uses are trials, difficulties, hardships. And they're not fun and can be quite painful and even scary at times. But when we look at our trials through the eyes of faith, we realize testing is beneficial for us. God has good purposes that he's working to accomplish, and I believe that's a huge part of why God inspired to write these, uh, inspired James to write these things about trials for us. So let's go ahead and read James 1, 2 through 11 to see what God says about trials. 
Verse 2, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, uh, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with the scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. So I want you to see, first of all, as we look at verse 2, we see the first response. How are we supposed to respond to trials? He tells us in verse 2, we are to respond to trials with joy, with joy. Now, I want to point out here a little detail that I forgot to mention in my introduction last week. Um, James says in verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren. A little note for you about that. Often what James does throughout this book is he uses that phrase, my brethren, as a transition. So he has just had the greeting, and so now he's going to transition into, in verse 2, into the subject of trials. So you may notice uh, uh, that many times James will use that to indicate he's moving from one subject to another. And so he does here. He's moving to the subject of trials, and his command that he tells us here uh, is that we consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. So, uh, first of all, I want to just talk briefly about the concept of the con content of trials. The content of trials. What are trials about? Uh, what are trials about? Um, the simple explanation as we look at this is to look at what James says in verse 3. He says, knowing, uh, so in, in verse 2 he uses the word trials, and then he's going to explain the same idea in verse 3, saying, knowing that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith. So trials are difficulties and hardships that come in our lives. And... Uh, the trials will expose things in our lives that are wrong thinking, fearful attitudes, or things that are sinful so that we know we need to confess and forsake those things and change. Or uh, a trial may be a difficulty that challenges us in a way that we haven't been challenged before. So it is a stretching. It is a testing. It is a uh, tool that God uses in our lives to show us ways in which we need to change and grow. But many times it is difficult. It is painful. Now, if we think of ourselves like that metal and we think about those grinders working on those flaws, digging out those things, 
that obviously would be painful and difficult. And many times that's how trials feel in our lives. That God is zeroed in on something in our lives that needs to go, that needs to change. And sometimes that can feel very painful and difficult. So trials can be like that in our lives. And they are exposing things that are wrong. Just, just as a way of another comparison or an example, um, I'm an IT guy. I work at the University of Michigan. I do computer support. Um, you may be familiar with some companies hire IT people, for, uh, and especially this would be true of banks and companies like that that have a lot of investments and things. Maybe investment companies uh, that are big would do these kinds of things too. But many times what they'll do is they'll hire someone they call a white hat. And, and the idea is they want somebody who's a hacker, but who's a good hacker. And what this hacker does is this hacker goes to their website or tries to access the bank or, or whatever uh, through unauthorized means. And the purpose of doing that testing is not to steal a bunch of money out of the bank, but to find the security holes in the bank system so that those can be told to the bank so that they can fix it before a real hacker with evil intentions takes advantage of that and exploits it and actually takes money. So in a similar way, God works in our lives to expose things that are wrong to bring about changes in our life. So we understand the basic concept of what a trial is or the content of a trial, but I want you to see also James gives us here this command in verse 2, and he says here, consider trials an occasion for joy. Now we're talking about in the book of James that this is about living faith. We, we need to have a living faith, and this is what living faith looks like. When we think about trials, our natural response to trials our natural response is, I don't like them. They're difficult. They're painful, right? That's the natural response. In fact, I, I have to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a sinful human being made of clay as well. And I thought, I'm preaching on trials. What is God going to bring in my life to help me learn about trials, right? That's our natural response to trials is, they're painful. They're difficult. We like to have it easy many times. But it really takes faith to view trials from God's perspective, and that's what God is commanding us to do. We need to view trials from the perspective of faith, with faith. We need to respond to trials with joy. Well, how can we do that? Why would we do that? I mean, trials are painful and difficult, but it is an evidence of God's working in our lives. Many times when trials happen, God does some unique and special things, and we can look back afterwards and rejoice at what God did. Think with me uh, on a simple example. You lose, you, you lose a job. If you're the main income provider in your home and you lose a job and you don't have lots and lots of money in the bank, that's a trial. That's a great concern. And yet, if you're a child of God, God's promised to meet your needs, hasn't he? 
So a trial like losing a job would not be fun. You're going to want to get a job. You're going to want to have money in the bank. You're going to want to be able to go on a vacation. You're going to want to be able to do those things. But God may bring the loss of a job for a purpose you don't understand. So it takes faith to think about that as an occasion to rejoice. But a trial is an opportunity to see God work in a special way that is life-changing. And that is occasion to rejoice. I remember being in a Sunday school class uh, a few years ago and hearing about a man who talked about a stage of his life where he lost a job and he was without his job for two years. And he talked about how challenging that was in some ways, not having a job for two years, but he looked back on that, reflecting on ways that he had seen God work in his life, and he remembers it fondly with joy because he saw God provide for him in unique ways. He even talked about how sometimes they had so little money, they didn't even have enough money to put food on the table, and one of the ways that God provided for them was he had to go fishing to catch fish to have enough to eat that day. But yet, God did. And he looked back on that with fondness and joy because God did some special and unique things during that time. And that's how God works. He, he uses trials to bring us closer to him. He uses trials to bring about change in our lives. He uses trials to teach us, to, to expose sometimes flaws in our lives that need uh, removing. And therefore, by faith, we can look at it as an occasion for joy. We don't necessarily like the details of what happened, but we rejoice because God is working and we know that he's in control of all things. A simple illustration again. I had a grandmother... When I first got saved, I was 19 and she was 93, or she was 90. Uh, and when I first got saved, we'd talk all the time, and she was basically the only one in my family that I knew was saved, and we'd have great conversations. Well, she reached the age of 93, and she died. I was not excited that she died. But I did rejoice in that she was with the Lord. That was an occasion for joy. That's what she had longed for. She would talk about how she wants to go. She's ready to see the Lord. So I rejoice that she did get to see the Lord. I missed her. I also rejoiced because at her funeral, almost all of my dad's unsaved family were at the service and heard the gospel preached. That was an occasion for joy. I wouldn't have necessarily chosen that, and there was some pain in it for me, but God used it for good, and I rejoiced in that. I want you to also see, we should, uh, we should not miss this one little word that God, in, or God includes here in verse 2. He says, consider it all joy. Again, this takes faith. We need to recognize in our trials that God is sovereign over them and that every single detail in this world is uh, used by God for his purposes. Therefore, 
we can rejoice even though some of the parts of it are difficult and painful and sometimes evil things happen. We don't rejoice in the evil, but we know that every part God is using for his good purposes. And when trials come in your lives, when trials come in my life, it is tailor-made for you. The God who knows everything and is all-powerful is using his resources to accomplish good purposes in your life. It's amazing when you think about it. The details, God knows and uses every single one. Seminary professor used to say, there isn't a cosmic speck of dust outside of the control, the sovereign control of God. He is in control. He uses every single detail. So when you're going through something, God did not make a mistake. God did not forget about this one thing or this person or this situation. God is at work in every single little detail because he is the sovereign God. And this is a cause for great joy. Now, I wanted to use an illustration today that I hope will illustrate this principle of God's design in working trials to bring about our good. I, several years ago, had watched a movie, and I, this is not a blanket uh, recommendation on movies or this movie in particular, um, but I had watched a movie that I think uh, can illustrate this point for us, uh, help us in some detail understand. I, I, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands who saw this movie, but there was a movie called The Game that was released back in 1997. Perhaps many of you weren't even born at that time. But um, back in 1997, this movie was released. I don't remember exactly when I saw it. It was, it was in my house or somebody's house. But um, to give you a little understanding of what was happening, basically the main character, if you recognize him there, is actually Michael Douglas. And in, in the story... Um, Michael Douglas, his name is Nicholas as the character, and he was a successful businessman. And the focus is upon Nicholas and his life, and, and one important detail in his life that shapes the rest of the story is that he had witnessed his father commit suicide when, he was, uh, when his father was 48 years old. And as the story begins, we're right at the stage where Nicholas, or Michael Douglas, is 48 years old in the story. Now, his bro he has a little brother. His name is Conrad, and Conrad gives him this gift, and, and the gift is uh, that he's going to play a game, and hence the title of the movie. So basically what happens is Nicholas goes to the game company, and they do a bunch of interviews. They, they figure out a bunch of stuff about him, learn all these things. He gets a physical examination as well, basically spends all day there so they can study him, and at the end, they basically say, nah, sorry, we can't really help you. So he's led to believe he's not actually going to be able to play this game. Well, what happens as the movie progresses is he finds out he actually is involved in this game. And it's a kind of game that interacts with real life. And what happens over the course of it, there's lots of drama, lots of trials, lots of difficulties that happen to him. Um, and he gets to a point where he's really, really frustrated and desperate. And he begins to recognize there's some things in his life that aren't right. And he, 
begins to make some of those changes, but he reaches a point of desperation. And at the point of desperation, what he does is he gets a gun, and he goes to the game company, basically takes somebody hostage, takes them up to the roof of the skyscraper of their building, and is demanding answers on what's going on. He doesn't understand, because he's heard that his bank accounts have been drained. So he's thinking this game is a scam, and so he's trying to find out what's going on. So he's basically got this guy at the roof, and he's, he's holding him hostage with the gun, and somebody comes out of, of a door right then, it surprises Nicholas, and he shoots, not, not thinking he shoots, and it turns out that it was his younger brother. So his younger brother, he's just shot, and he is overwhelmed and devastated that he has done this. So he's, at the, he's on the roof of this game company. What he does is he actually lunges over into this glass area in the company basically to take his own life. And when he hits the bottom, it's an airbag. And then he discovers at the end of all of this, it was just a game. Now, I realize that may be a little complicated to understand all that's going on there, but what basically was happening was this company had done so much research on him that they were able to predict and understand how he would deal with these various situations that they would throw at him, and they knew how he'd respond, and the goal of all of that game was actually to get him to reflect on some of the wrong things in his life, and, and the movie portrays some changes that come in his life as a result of this. Now. Humanly speaking, doing that kind of research about a person, understanding exactly how they respond, we could never in reality do that. But God does know everything. And God is orchestrating everything in our lives. He knows exactly what we're going to do. He knows exactly how we're going to respond. And he designs every part of the difficulties and trials that we go for go through for his glory and your good we have an amazing god and therefore we understanding this can obey this command to rejoice when trials come in our lives because of who our god is we can rejoice. We're commanded to rejoice. And, and we can because of who God is. And I want you to see as well, James also gives us a reason that we can rejoice specifically here in describing the consequences of a trial. In describing the consequences of a trial. If you look with me at verse 3, James says here, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. We can rejoice in trials that God brings in our lives because we know what the outcome will be. The outcome is that God is going to change us and it's going to result in a strengthening of our faith. God is going to change us and strengthen our faith through this trial. We know he's sovereign. Nothing happens by mistake. And he is using this trial to change us so that our faith will be stronger and that we will walk more closely with him. And the specific outcome that James mentions here is that of endurance. Endurance. What, what is significant about endurance? Endurance, uh, as defined according to Strong's, 
is uh, in the New Testament characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his in his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Another definition says in most passages, this word refers to the steadfast endurance of the Christian under the difficulties and tests of the present evil age. Endurance is continuing. When trials and difficulties come in our lives, instead of giving up, Instead of in desperation saying we can't do this and turning away from the Lord, we learn by God's grace to continue to endure what uh, is going on and we remain faithful in our walk with the Lord and grow closer to him. That's the outcome of a trial. Now, that does not mean in every situation, every part of the trial, we always respond correctly. But what God brings through trials in our lives is a strengthening of our faith and endurance that ultimately leads to persevering in the faith, which is a key evidence of being a true believer. So I want you to look with me at uh, Luke chapter 8 to see the parable of the sower. And And I like this one because this one uses the same exact word for endurance, uh, but it's translated in Luke as perseverance to illustrate the principle. So I won't read the whole parable. I know it's, it's um, familiar to most of you. But basically, Jesus tells the parable of the sower to explain responses to the gospel. There are people who are going to completely ignore it, not want anything to do with it, and they are hardened, and they are the hard ground that he talks about where the seed is uh, thrown and the birds come and take it away. There's, there's not a response at all. But he also talks about the, the uh, seed that falls on rocky ground, and the rocky ground, the seed springs up. There's an initial joy and excitement and enthusiasm, but it says uh, eventually the sun comes up, dries it up, and it, and it withers and dies. Um, and he also says about the seed that falls on the thorny, uh, the, uh, among thorns, he talks about that growing up, but the thorns choke it out, and he explains, and it dies, and he talks about it being the cares of the world eventually choking it out. Now, the fourth one he mentions here, he talks about uh, the seed that grows and produces fruit, and uh, that's verse 15 says, but the seed in the good soil, those are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. That's, that's our same word. The idea is that God is working in the lives of his children to produce spiritual fruit. And God is working in the lives of his children so that they will be strengthened to continue in the faith, giving evidence that they are a true and genuine disciple. Now, we don't earn salvation by enduring, but it is an evidence of a genuine salvation that we endure. And so God is working in the lives of his children to produce this fruit that we would continue and persevere in the faith. There are many other places I could take you, like Hebrews chapter 3 talks about 
being, uh, having received Christ, if we uh, genuinely having received Christ, if we continue. It doesn't mean we earn our salvation by continuing. It means it's an evidence of us having truly accepted and trusted Christ by continuing. And that's the fruit God's working in for trials. Now, um, we're going to move on to point number two, and I want to alleviate some concerns this morning. I wasn't sure how long it would take us to get all the way to verse 11, and we're not going to make it this morning. Hopefully not terribly disappointed, but we'll, uh, we'll pick that up next week. But I wanted to finish then with verse 4 this morning. In verse 4, we're going to see the next command that we're given, and that is to submit to trials. We are to submit to trials. It says in verse 4, And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How are we supposed to respond to trials? Well, first of all, we're to consider it joy. Uh, Let me just mention one thing I forgot to mention there about joy, just to back up for one second. Um, He says about joy when we encounter trials, I, I think it's significant that he's using the word encounter. If you're like me, you can look back 15 or 20 years and think about trials that God's brought in your life and you can see very clearly now, right? Hindsight is 2020. And we can look back and say, I, I see what God did there and, and I'm thankful and I rejoice in what God did. Even though that was hard, I'm thankful. I think what James is urging us to do here, what God wants us to do, is not only look back 15 or 20 years later. God actually wants us, when we get to the beginning of a trial, to respond with joy. Not just at the end, because at the end, we have the advantage of having seen the results. At the beginning of a trial, it takes faith to recognize what the results will be. Even though we don't know exactly how the details will work out in our lives, we can rejoice because we know he is typically doing these things because he is accomplishing the purpose of endurance in our lives. So we, at the beginning of a trial, should look at it with joy. And again, if you're like me, that's not always our first response. Um, But that is what it takes to respond in faith. But... Point number two here, we should respond in submission. If we know these things, if we are responding joyously because we know he is accomplishing his good purposes to produce endurance, what therefore should be our response? Our response not only is that of joy, our response is submission. We yield ourselves to God. Instead of demanding an out, instead of demanding this end now, Instead of trying to drive all of our circumstances to our will, we need to submit it to God and say, all right, I don't understand what you're doing here. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, and, and we can and should pray. In fact, he talks about that in verse 5, and we'll get there, Lord willing, next week. But uh, our attitude should be letting God have his way. Stop fighting him. Try, 
Stop trying to make your outcome the outcome if that's not his will. Submit to his will and let him accomplish this good purpose in our lives. So he gives us that command. This is actually a command, verse 4. I know it uses the word let, and we tend to think of that passively in just simply stand back and let it happen, but it's actually a command. The command is that we are to submit to God in trials. And he also, again, gives us the consequence of a trial so that we can understand why this is a good thing and do this by faith. He says that uh, endurance, as God works endurance in our lives, this is having the result It says it's perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, the word perfect means to bring to the end. And the idea is often that of maturity. It does does not mean in this life we will be perfectly sinless and without flaw. But the idea is as God works in our lives, he's changing us to make us more like Christ. He's bringing us to maturity. He is bringing us to full fruitfulness in our lives. He is equipping us for every good work. And we need to joyfully, willingly submit to that. That takes faith. By nature, we want to escape, don't we? Some trials last day or two. Some trials last weeks. Some trials last months. Some trials and challenges last years. And some trials are a lifetime. And it's sometimes difficult to do, but the commands that God gives us in responding to trials are that we should rejoice about them knowing that he is working for our endurance in it and that we should willingly submit to it, not fight him, get angry with him about it, accuse him of evil motives. We should submit. We should submit because God is working here, it says, to make us spiritually mature. He is working to make us like Christ. So I encourage you, challenge you to respond when that next difficult hard thing that happens you don't understand to look at it through eyes of faith to respond in joy and submission knowing your God loves you cares for you and is accomplishing something good that you may not know until the very end or even until the next life but by faith We can respond in joy and submission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. There's so much encouragement and challenge found in this passage. I pray that you would help us to be stretched in our understanding of how you work and that you would help us not to react and respond to difficulties so quickly, so negatively, But help us, Father, to see everything, everything that happens in our lives by faith and to recognize you're in control and you have good purposes 
and that you are working as painful as it may be at times to accomplish good things in our lives, you are producing endurance and help us to rejoice about that and help us not to fight you. Help us to quickly and fully submit and let you accomplish your good purposes in our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.